Welcome back to the Breathing Problem Productions podcast. I'm Rusty Kelly. And I'm Amelia McKay. Uh, and this is our first episode in, I don't know, is it like two years or something? Let's look. Uh, I'm going to check Spotify. The last episode we did was December 21st, 2021, and I interviewed Charlie. And the episode before that was December 14th, 2021. We did like a whole set of episodes, like December 6th, December 14th, and December 21st. Like we were hardcore. Mm -hmm. And then we stopped being hardcore when 2022 hit. Like Yeah. Um, and now it's 2023 and we have like a list a giant list of like stuff we always are like we should talk about that in the podcast that we never do you know yeah and like one of like the big things that we always said that amelia said that we both said we wanted to do was talk about brisson uh, robert brisson our basically our favorite filmmaker and i remember wanting to do this a year ago yeah yeah and around this time it was around like christmas time last year i think it was supposed to be the next episode it was like supposed to be january 20 but like i think what happened is yours and mine respect and love for brisson's work like it seemed like too big a project yeah like like to get to pump ourselves up a year later over a year later to do this one i think we really had to say like it is what it is let's go through the film we both Amelia actually read the novel Mouchette by Georgia Sprananos. I think I'm saying that correctly. I think it's uh, Georgia. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm really glad we actually waited this long to do this episode because I feel like I I maybe have like more to say about it now Mm -hmm. than a year ago. Yeah. Something like also significant about this this um book and like the theme of the movie is suicide and um quite recently i i uh, lost one of my friends to suicide and so it was like right after she died i read mouchette and and you'd obviously seen the movie a million times yeah it's my favorite movie Mm -hmm. Um, it was like a really, really good way to kind of enter into this kind of, um, it it was a good way for me to process grief and, um, understand suicide more and, um, still kind of reach that place inside you that, where like no matter what happens like you can still kind of find like the beauty and meaning in life and the reasons to like live you know Mm -hmm. and so it's all been really helpful for me in like the last month to kind of and would you would you say because i i read the book the the last couple days but i'm curious do you think it's important to have read the novel does the novel kind of add to your love of the film and vice versa what's different about the novel would you say the novel is like it's written in a way that um like no film nothing could actually like touch on this kind of private Internal. ineffable experience right. of suffering right and so 
you read it to just yeah finish it i guess maybe i'm jumping ahead of myself um let's talk about why mouchette the film first is so important Mm -hmm. um so mouchette is a film by robert rasson made in 1967 a french film um it he made it right after his other film ahazard balthazar which the both these films are kind of like siblings but we won't talk about that film right now maybe for a different episode because it's a great film too yeah it'd be way too much um but it's it's a pretty simple story essentially like many of his films are and that the actual plot is that um a young girl who lives in a French town who's very poor, whose father and brother are bootleggers and al- and the father's a horrible alcoholic. Her mother is dying most likely of like breast cancer or something and it's there's no way she's going to get cured or be able to afford it. She also has a newborn baby. Right, the mother. And essentially the beginning of the film, unlike the novel, actually shows Mouchette and the way that the French town either ignores ignores her or makes fun of her or kind of abuses her and treats her terribly. Um, And the main kind of action of the film begins when Mouchette, after school, is caught in a storm in the woods on her way home and gets lost. And she meets the town kind of Al- he's he's basically a poacher named Arsene. I might be saying that wrong. An illegal poacher. Yeah. 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 And uh, he's the town drunk also. And he meets up with her, takes her to his shed, lies to her and says that, you know, there's a tornado. He calls it a cyclone uh, and that she needs to hide with him. He's also on the run. He thinks he's killed a man. Mouchette gets raped by him. Then the next day happens. She gets home, realizes that her mother's dying. Her mother dies, basically, immediately. Mouchette leaves to tell the town of her mother's death. She sees various townsfolk, and they either mistreat her or make fun fun of her. There's three awful women, as as Rassan describes the last, like, the last encounters of her life are three terrible awful women who all say she's like a piece of shit at the very end right at the, be- at the beginning they're actually supposed to kind of feeling sorry for her and her mother just died and they they're trying to kind of you know but in the end they treat her terribly and then finally mouchette kills herself by drowning herself so what would you say some of the themes of the film are i would i it's it's really hard to describe this but it's like it's like suffering from this like in this private way it's like you're the mouchette the main character is completely alone in her world which there's no love in at all and so it's just this like kind of existence of being trapped in this silence this um there's no way to communicate uh your truth and there's nothing to share about your experience so it's kind of a book about prayer um but not in the sense that mouchette prays to some god it's like a 
silent cry or plea to the only one that's listening for understanding for understanding so the listener the reader of the book and the watcher of the film um their role is is god that's what you know brisson gives us as like this you know he sets us up to be the only one who can understand and and love her we can't stop what happens but we can empathize Mm -hmm. and i think also you know brisson was he kind of created uh you know some people call it catholic filmmaking or his version of catholicism right but in the sense that a lot of his films i think or many people think are about suffering as close as kind of closeness to god to suffer is to experience the divine and that suicide is um, in some of his films is like there's a good essay that says you know some of his earlier films uh said that like uh suicide was a way to kind of redeem oneself um Mm -hmm. but that with like diary of a country priest death is like a redemptive quality maybe but that with you know mouchette there's a she's at the end of she's her... at the end she's not alone anymore because she's one with consciousness or with god or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. but at the same time there's a loss and there's a misery of her life being cut short but yeah and, and so i would say like suicide alienation to exist and to cry out for understanding and love and also to rebel and there's many different themes but I think another thing we should mention before we get started is, you know, why Robert Brisson, what made him special. Mm-hmm. And one thing he's known for is writing a book called Notes on the Cinematographer or Notes on the Cinematography. It should be Notes on Cinematography. Maybe that's in some place, but it's... Notes uh, on the Cinemagraph. Right, is is the way it's mm-hmm. this our book is. <clears throat> uh, and one of his, you know, it's an amazing book also one of my favorite authors dennis cooper that book inspired him to finally understand how to write the george miles cycle but um uh one thing that uh, brisson is all about is what he calls like using models instead of actors and i'm looking at uh an interview with him um and uh Here's just a quote. It says, The field of cinematography is immeasurable and full of shadows. I find my way like a blind man in a kingdom of the involuntarily or perhaps voluntarily sightless to capture the real in flight. But for me to use this marvelous camera only to reproduce the mimicry of actors, even those drowning in talent, would be completely senseless. I have consolidated a system or better known as an anti-system, of no actors, no theatrics, no direction, disparity between performers and invented characters, the surprise of mistakes and instead of takes. So I guess it would be, you know, this is way back in the 50s and 60s, but I guess what some people would define as essentially the, the kind of philosophy of using non-actors. But I think it's not just as simple as, oh, you know, we're going to use people from the town that we shoot the town in, but rather... He would also tell his models to purposely not try to act, to not try to 
say the lines like the and I say this in quote the real character would say them and that I guess the, the idea is that through their non-acting through them saying the lines like as if they're just reading them off a paper a kind of deeper truth whatever truth means to you emerges and that a kind of a reality that can't that that we search for in art is expressed more than anything else and you know Kubrick kind of had similar ideas with how he would make the actors in his films do like a hundred takes to take the acting out of them but I guess Brisson in a way to me is like smarter in that you know fuck that let's not get actors let's get these non-actors and just tell mm-hmm. them to read it off the page because you know with Kubrick or something isn't that essentially what he's trying to get them to do anyway mm-hmm. but I mean with that would you agree with yeah that? I would say that like the natural, effortless, spontaneous moment that he's looking for is akin to something which also comes through all of his films, which is that concept of grace. It's like capturing what reveals the the divine in in the small mistakes, the fumblings yes. of this animal like right quality that we are without glorifying it without Mm -hmm. like without claiming Mm -hmm. that it has this meaning it just has its meaning by itself and reveals it It reveals divinity by itself through these natural mistakes or these effortless spontaneous moments human moments human mistakes that's where our divinity lies and so he's about capturing grace right right and that grace is also this crushing thing that completely devours like our entire humanity in which we like we're no longer human we 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 somehow like (laughs) yeah exist with within that kind of like the omnipotent all present right like spirit or presence yeah and here's another quote about models that uh uh Brisson says to an interviewer when he was making Mouchette I didn't use any actors even non-professional ones but models the way we think of the model for a painting or a sculpture when I've made the right choice of model the psychology happens on its own Mm -hmm. I adjust myself in relation to it the interviewer says models models did you know what you just used the same word my friend used Anyway, blah, blah. Uh, Mm -hmm. But Brisson says, cinematography is its own language. Both sound and image must be positioned in the editing with a precision measured by the millimeter. Um, And then someone says, can we return to the question of cruelty? Sorry, I'm kind of keeping going, but I think this is a great quote. Mouchette shows us the cruelty and misery we ordinarily choose not to see. Um, All Hazar Balthazar was a protestation against cruelty, foolishness, and carnality. It's in me. I am in no way being didactic. I don't see myself righting wrongs. Cruelty is everywhere. In wars, torture, the camps, and young people who murder the the elderly. In his letters, Oscar Wilde wrote something like, Ordinary cruelty is just stupidity, a total lack of imagination. It's true that the lack of imagination leads to atrocity. At the beginning of the war... He means World War II. In the barracks, I watched a soldier skin a rabbit alive. I was terrified. Ooh, I I really like that quote, that Oscar Wilde quote. Um, yeah. Um, it reminds me of um, this little piece in um, this um, 
book. Um, it's actually the Gospel of Mary Magdalene um, that's been interpreted by this guy named Jean-Yves Lelope. Mm-hmm. And he said something like kind of similar to what you just said, mm-hmm. that, or at least that Oscar Wilde quote, and mm-hmm. it says, um, there is no sin. It is we who continually create sin with our sickly imagination and then invent laws to make it more comfortable. It is our imagination that needs to be healed. We are responsible for the world in which we live since it is we who create it. Our lack of enlightened imagination encloses that faculty in a death orientation that imposes limits upon it, wherein our feelings and intelligence have become arrested. Mm. And then it says the imagination is the sympathetic resonance of the invisible and the visible of the spiritual and the physical. That's amazing. I love that. (laughs) Yes. So the writer and director, Paul Schrader, when he wrote Taxi Driver was definitely influenced by Rassan, one of his earlier films, Pickpocket, um, and also probably Diary of a Country Priest with the writing of diary passages and reading them aloud, though in the way that Travis does them. Uh, Schrader, in fact, wrote an entire book called Transcendental Style and Film um, about Bresson, Ozu, and Dreyer. Uh, but the point, I guess, is that in a way, it's, it's weird. It's like, of course, film nerds know who Bresson is, um, but his... The, the techniques he created in in the in terms of like styles of editing and kind of the tools of filmmaking influenced a huge amount of what we know as modern film but i don't we're not I, you know there's so much we could say about him but i think to really begin we should like we've done in our a lot of our uh previous episodes as we go through the film and we talk about scenes and um we'll probably also stop sometimes to to talk about the book because the book which was written first has a much more in you know i guess meteor set of information there's it's really really amazing and beautiful and totally uh twisted in the best way and, and so sad um and i think expresses uh feelings that that everyone has had but we'll get to that okay so we're starting the film um the film begins with a kind of cold open with no titles um it's just like a room and the character we will eventually know is Mouchette's mother says essentially two things do you want to talk about that Amelia yeah, she says, so she's sitting in a chair um, in church and she's saying, what will become of them without me? And then she says, I can feel it in my breast. It's like a stone inside. And then she gets up and walks off screen. But the camera is still lingers over the empty space where her where she was just sitting and so this is her mother she's in church so it's like implying that this is her prayer 
in this desperate kind of lonely state of Mouchette's mother yeah Mouchette's and mother. she's referring to her children what will happen to my children when I die and referring yes. to her the cancer in her breast essentially yeah and when she's talking about I can feel it in my breast it also represents this tremendous sorrow mm-hmm. you know this great unknown and this you know grief for what will become mm-hmm. and um you know this very first scene is someone taking an exit Mm -hmm. they exit the screen we no longer see them Mm -hmm. so brisson is kind of describing death as an image in our mind and then really what it is is a disappearance Mm -hmm. of an image and i I feel like what makes him so different as like a filmmaker is that he he could be considered a non-dualist. Mm-hmm. And what's a non-dualist to the people that don't know? A non-dualist um, is it's just a it, it would be somebody who um, does not consider to be or people to be separate entities but mm-hmm. all is like encompassed by like a single a single consciousness you could say but i say that he could be considered a non-dualist because his model for consciousness or for god is pretty identical mm-hmm. to those um to those who speak about non-duality mm-hmm. because so he models consciousness or god as this colorless transparent screen upon which everything appears and so that he he like like god is in this case like the empty screen just the 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 frame that the mother's left yes right and essentially non-duality for some people, like a simplistic version of it might be like elements of Buddhism or something. Right. The film after the credits begins with this character, Matthew. I I don't It's the French Matthew, uh, who uh, is a game warden, essentially. And he's following Arsene, who is a poacher, as he sets traps for game like small game um none of this is in the book the actual book begins with mouchette going on her journey to eventually be raped uh after school the this film is different in that it we get a a lot of backstory to give us context to the kind of brutality that ends up existing for mouchette um but i you know i think there's plenty of connections we could have for the predator and prey kind of uh, symbol of humanity, uh, whether it's the game warden catching the poacher or the poacher like going after a rabbit or a mouchette being abused by all of the, the kind of French village. Do you have any thoughts on this opening? Uh, so, yeah, uh, the the scene of these what i guess they're quail or something mm-hmm. yeah being poached 
it's like a it's like a what is it called like a foreshadowing mm-hmm. of um Mouchette. and so sh- she is like the the bird resembles her as this kind of hunted animal mm-hmm. yeah just caught in kind of the the trap mm-hmm. the trap of arson later later on um so we have these scenes but then finally the film moves forward and uh we eventually come upon the towns like the what's the most important part of the their little town because they're all alcoholics in poverty is the bar and we see Mouchette and her older brother or Mouchette's father and older brother. Right. What did I say? Mouchette and her brother. Oh, sorry. Mouchette's father and her older brother go to the town bar, deliver, I assume, some bootleg alcohol or like some, you know, illegally carried over alcohol from some other country. And they get some free gin or whatever this is. And, you know, I feel like Brasson here is just kind of setting the stage for this like very cold, simplistic people go to the bar, they get their drinks, they don't even chat or talk. They're, they're nobody's moving, happy. Yeah, they're moving like automatons just through like there's no joy at all in like any part of it mm-hmm. in like the way that you would think like, you know, they're they're drinking this toast over them illegally bringing this alcohol to this bar. Right. But there's not any like cheer. There's no like, Mm-mm. there's no celebratory like feeling or just right. you know levity at all. Right. And then we come upon Mouchette at home with her mother heating up. I guess is that like a maybe that's it's a cloth a cloth for her mother's head and her mother's dying of cancer. Uh, it seems like every you know in the book. It's when Mouchette kind of discusses her life. She discusses the alcoholism of her father. Talk. She talks about being beaten by her father and the brutality of that and just kind of accepting it. But, and I think one thing the book and the film deals with, though, is Mouchette's, she's, like, brutalized and savaged, but she has a kind of inner rebellion in her constantly, which the film kind of comes across, too, I think, which is there's a kind of hatred for all of the society that goes against her when we I, when i think of like another film like welcome to the dollhouse where dawn right everybody da- knows this person right and like their behavior their misbehavior you could say in school is kind of this reflection of how they're treated at mm-hmm. home and they have no they just ha- they lack this sense of of self-value at all there's right. no they're they're not worth anything not in their home not to their parents not so. in the society ne- never to society right your parents are the ones that's supposed to love you you know right and and it, same same with welcome to the dollhouse i'm sure some people think of dawn as just a victim but there's a lot of anger that exists within dawn whether it's her like cutting off missy's or her little sister's barbie head or her like shooting a spit wad and then getting yelled at for fighting back like mm-hmm. what were you doing i was fighting back whoever taught you to fight back but right uh, anyway what mouchette Brisson describes her behavior as if you know she's an animal in defense right right you know that her her actions although they seem like this willfulness is just this automatic act that that is a it, it's like what results from 
her entire conditioning. You know, it's it's automatic. She right. can't help anything. You know. Yeah, I mean, anyway, in the book there, and we'll probably read a couple little passages from it. There's a lot of descriptions of of her being brutalized or thinking of the brutality that happens to her and a kind of confused anger and rebellion at wanting to get back at the world. Um, so we have this scene of her brother and sister coming home and the the dad just basically passes out. Mouchette sleeps on the floor. Uh, then we see the next day with Mouchette in class and, uh, this, uh, the children are singing. Right. Uh, There's a, the book as you, uh, you know, read, it, it goes way more into the dynamics of her in school. And like, so, Mouchette hates her teacher. She hates her teacher, but uh, the classes like they they make them sing. Mm-hmm. The girls all sing, and the teacher like plays this like harmonium. And so she despises music, mostly for I think what it represents to everybody else, and she just sees it as this total lie, and. So the this scene is is so important. She that all her classmates are singing along to the song while she's completely like feign, silent, silent. Yeah, and the song the op- down. the song's like opening lyrics are hope. Hope is dead. Yeah. Um. So she refuses to sing. Sing. The teacher jumps across the room and. Um, starts demanding that she sing the right notes or yes. sing it all. And and in the book, maybe you could read this part. I don't know, but in the in the book, uh, the Mademoiselle essentially yells at at Mouchette. Yeah. So she says, "You're nothing but a little savage, a proper savage. Even savages." have their music a savage one of course but still music music comes before knowledge everywhere nevertheless she had stopped trying to teach her her skills it was much too much of a waste of time too upsetting but mouchette who for some unknown reason insisted on speaking in her throat and exaggerating her horrible picard accent yeah so there's this part in the book that isn't here in the movie that I think is is this beautiful description of her um her teacher abusing her essentially right. so she she's grabbing her in the book and and demanding that she sing right and then all of a sudden Mouchette snaps out of it and goes into she she calls it a trance she goes into this trance and all of a sudden she she starts singing the the proper note mm-hmm. and it, she said it, it was like almost like against her consent that right. that came out of her and so it made me think of something that I kind of like saw recently and it it goes along with Brisson and his like comparison with animals to humans mm-hmm. um in Alhazard there's a part where the donkey is sold to the circus and taught math. Mm-hmm. And when I watched this part of Mouchette, or read that part in the book as well, 
it made me think of this thing that I saw recently about uh, when people train elephants to do portraits or paints. Mm-hmm. They say, like, you know, like, it may look like just this, like, elephant is just doing this with their own free will, but the training involved to get the elephant to actually do that is through, like, pain and... Um, torment torment and so the actual act of it is it's like this traumatizing thing that is it goes against her autonomy right right. but and i think also though what's interesting though about that uh little thing from the book is that she says though that she would sing from her throat to me it almost reads like this little rebellion of like purposely singing the wrong way right because it's her it's her willfulness like Everything is done without her consent. Like she, she has no autonomy. Her only autonomy is expressed. And then on that point, behavior. I think yeah. the next major scene is after school, Mouchette waits in a ditch and throws dirt clods at the like little yes. girls, the pop, whatever, not even popular, just students who You hate should her. find this part in the book because it's actually here, do you like amazing. Find it? Uh, here it is. Um, in the film, uh, she's waiting by this, you know, little ditch ravine and just throwing dirt clods um it's the first time you really see this i don't know this desire to like say to destroy you know she it's like a a little animal in a cage screeching and yelling even though they already know the end what you know they're there's determined there's no kind of freedom or end that isn't i guess horrific but mouchette nonetheless despises her captors and her tormentors um yeah she immediately walks around town and like the 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 girls you know treated you know she threw the dirt clods at the girls and then we immediately see a boy who like flashes flashes her and calls her a rat face um uh yeah and then mouchette i like Sorry to. Yeah, yeah. I liked this description of her throwing mud at her schoolmates. Uh, She describes it like all Mouchette's pleasures, this one seemed to increase rather than diminish on each occasion. Just as she picked up in the shadows, in the currents, a thousand precious things which had lain unnoticed for years, she discovered this pleasure by chance also. So she just, like, this is, like, it describes it as, like, one of her only little vices. Like, she gets more and more pleasure every time she, She like, throws. Yeah. Right. And I think it's, you know, interesting that that's how it begins in the book. Um, it, okay. So let's look at the difference. I think this is important now when we see the film. We get more backstory that isn't in the book, which is that there's this kind of I assume almost like weekend town life, which is the townsfolk who live in this bar. Uh, there's like this kind of weird side plot where uh, Matthew, even though he's married, the the game warden guy is obsessed with this bartender. I forgot what her name is, like Louisa or something. He's obsessed with Louisa and she doesn't like him, but instead Arsene likes Louisa, you know, in a way, this stuff kind of doesn't matter as much. Um, um, Mouchette, uh, in this scene, is at the carnival. She gets a coin from some person who feels sorry for her, and she begins to go on the bumper bo- the cars, bumper mm-hmm. cars. Mm-hmm. 
so this scene is not in the book um but it's it's um there's a parallel to it in the book that's not in the film either but both represent the same thing it's the only part in this entire movie that offers any levity at all um we actually see her smile there's really like not not really like another time where she expresses joy mm-hmm. or is really like allowed to yeah and it's really it's really really like sh- it's a fleeting like instant so i wanted to compare this scene to something that's in the book um i described this scene as the open bottle top to this deep dark like you know um liquid or soda yeah like it's the it's the only thing that lets light in or alleviates Mm -hmm. the film from being one-dimensional because explain why because she's like she's doing these bumper cars and there's a boy who's looking at her she's smiling because he's he's kind of flirting with her on on the bumper cars yes so it it's like this fleeting moment when she's her spirit is like free and she just gets this little taste of joy and Brisson wrote I invented a fair and a boy for Mouchette to be drawn to he appears and disappears like a phantom the disappearance of hope doesn't always bring despair and then he said another reason more obvious why I added this was that the lightness and um gaiety allowed the darkness that follows to be felt more strongly so i also you know i would describe this as like another little flash of of grace it it does like give this contrast it gives this more bleak contrast between the light and the dark this like you know impossible joy that she can't ever reach ever again and so like so in the book Mouchette um describes the only experience of love um that she's ever had here do you want to read this yeah this is actually the end of the book but it like you said it it complements what the film doesn't have and vice versa it says um she was it happened one holiday time she was taking back to Dumont's cafe the fish which the old man had caught during the day, a basket of eels. On the way, a big, fair-haired girl had bumped into her and turned around and asked her name. Mouchette had not answered, and the girl gently and absentmindedly stroked her cheek. At first, Mouchette had thought nothing of it, and indeed the memory had been painful until the evening, and she'd pushed it out of her mind. It had returned suddenly, changed, and almost re- unrecognizable. Just before dawn, when she was asleep on the ragged mattress which Madame Dumont on the ev- on events when the cafe was full, put down for her in a narrow quarter littered with empty bottles and cans and smelling sharply of sour wine and greasily of paraffin. In some strange way, while she was half asleep, she felt herself cushion her face in the crook of her arm and smell the imperceptible perfume that of that warm hand. And indeed... She seemed to feel the hand itself so near and so real and living that without thinking, she raised her head and put up her lips to be kissed. And then the next part says, 
Uh, this is from the introduction. Later, Mouchette looks at her own swarthy, calloused hand and is horrified. It is the sight of this hand that drives her into the blur of suicide. There's nothing in her drowning that is joyful or gives a feeling of spiritual liberation. But there is exhilaration, and once the in inevitability has sunk in, a mild consciousness that grace is everywhere. Bernanos, like Brisson, exhibits Sangfroid to the end. Yes. Wait, what does Sangfroid mean? Oh, I don't know. I should look it up. Um. um. <clears throat> Composure or coolness, sometimes excessive as shown in danger or trying circumstances. Yeah, so it's an indifferent, it's like an, you know, imperturbable piece, right? Right, right. So um, it's saying, you know, like even this joyful moment, Mm -hmm. um it all goes into like including the despair. suffering <laughs> yeah right but it, despair exists the same as the one beautiful moment of joy and and you know yeah. amelia talked about non-duality which literally is that you know grace is everywhere yes and and also thinking of the catholicism of Rassam, which is that like mm -hmm. suffering is divine and divinity is everywhere within suffering and joy right Brisson tries to, like, he, like, he does. He, he explains this, like, thing that is impossible to describe about this, um, that everything, even your deepest sorrow in your heart, the deepest loneliness, it all is given up to God. In, and it happens naturally. It's not something, like, we can do with our own will. All of it is a will of God. It's, mm -hmm. um something that's just it just happens to us it, right it, um and yeah and i think that the, i love that quote from the book so much but you know so essentially though in the movie she has this moment of connecting with a boy in on the bumper cars and she kind of follows him and then right when maybe she's about to actually talk to the boy her father turns around and slaps her and that moment of like human connection of is just completely destroyed. Yes. So it implies to he's like a hawk, like w watching her, waiting for her to, to do this, to then swoop down and take away like right. the, the thing that she... The one piece of joy yes. that she has. But even in her tears, there is, I don't know, grace and divinity. So right after this, you know, her father gives her like, you know, she's sitting by them. They're all drinking. I kind of I kind of described like this like moment of her joy this kind of connection that he she might have had like with this boy as this like fleeting sweet and real moment mm -hmm. and then right after that is this this taste of shame and mm -hmm. like that you could kind of like say is is like that bitter drink mm -hmm. like her father slaps her um, for either going on the ride or flirting with this boy, but it's not, it's not even like clear what she's being reprimanded for. Mm -hmm. And the mixing of those two experiences like merges in her mind. And it just kind of like solidifies us as like, you know, you're not allowed into, into this kingdom. You're, you're forbidden from your joy. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. So, 
moving on like the <laughs> there's just more drinking more of uh mud throwing mud throwing and then this is th- this, this is section very, of the film yes this is where she she descends down the hill away from where everybody else is going into the woods after school right. nobody the- sees her leave she's all about hiding away from everybody right so it's where the the book actually starts yes which is her descending onto this kind of adventure to be brutalized but also uh anyway we'll get into it um and i think when we if you're watching along i don't know if anyone ever does this but you could watch along the the movie with us it's on the criterion channel um the film is shot so simply you know it's there's you know everything is essentially a medium kind of shot um i think where it's not about crazy cinematography to me it's really in the performances and the editing and i I don't know but ultimately it's it's that kind of philosophy of utilizing these models uh bears its you know fruit or whatever you want to say um I think some people would maybe watch this movie and I don't know, you know, Brisson even talks about how some people like say his films are so slow. Uh, well, yeah, we're there to suffer with her in, in all of these agonizing moments. They're, they're drawn out and he's like never afraid of the silence and loneliness and emptiness. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's where like you know we're meant to watch this movie like with patience and and an open heart Mm -hmm. you know it's um it would be like impossible to watch it um without being ready to to share something with this character right i mean uh brisson says about the film there's no action in my film if there's action in any of my films particularly in Mouchette, is is purely interior right mm-hmm. it's like what i was saying where where the most beautiful parts are although his his work with the soundtrack not just the not just the music but the actual sound check soundtrack is incredible and it's you know you could make a video or and, podcast about it by itself um but the quote finishes much better to talk of precision than of action when mouchette's mother dies nothing happens no action in the sense of drama or plot i've been told in no uncertain terms that the absence of action that silence and slowness pose great dangers to a film in the vast majority of current films music is used to combat silence and slowness um, and I, I, I don't know. I think that's a great example right. of things I love and and wanting to allow things to sit and to be. Yeah. Even you know. If you notice, uh, I, I think I read somewhere. It's either in that book right there, or uh, I, he was just saying like the difference between Alhazard, like the thing that he corrected with this film, which he made right afterwards, mm-hmm. was that if you if you notice like in Alhazard, he plays the same song over and over and over again Mm -hmm. um he said like he basically regretted that and in this one there isn't any music um it's it's only at the beginning and then the very end right right um 
So the film has this subplot, which exists at the end of the book too with Arson, or, you know, exists in the book with Arson and Matthew, where they essentially, they have a fight um, over uh, Arson's poaching. They're both drunk as skunks because actually the fight is about Arson dating this girl that Matthew is obsessed with, even though she's much younger than him. And Arson and Matthew have a fight and Arson believes he maybe killed Matthew, but we discover he was just kind of drunk and epileptic and blanked out what happened. Um, in the film, Mouchette witnesses all of this. In the book, she's told this information about the fight. Um, yeah. So... Uh, I think one thing that's really interesting uh, is, you know, Brisson was obsessed with, you know, sound mixing and making sure the sound mixing was really at the forefront of also his thoughts. Uh, Brisson says in this interview, mixing, sound mixing for me is truly a creative act. It's the moment when all of the film's elements, sound and visual, are put in contact with one another or acting upon one another and become transformed in this conception of cinema. Cinematogra cinematography art, uh, which is unlike the one based in mimicry, gestures, and actorly effects, the image track and the audio track are of equal importance. You know, um, you, he goes on in this interview book all about sound mixing, and it's incredible, especially people like us that love, uh, you know, noise and essential mm -hmm. and lots of sound editing and sound mixing it's interesting the filmmaker we love so much right. is also obsessed with that yes um he said he took 40 different um audio samples of wind for the <laughs> cyclone scene yeah and in the making of there's actually a making of documentary for mouchette if you have the blu-ray and it shows them like doing sounds of like mm -hmm. creaky you know gates and all kinds of stuff and it, you can tell he's obsessed um anyway he's a nerd like he us, also says so. something like um the image goes outward or the and the sound goes inward yes yes yeah yes um so with the especially with this um so the to me when okay this fight with arson and matthew happens and then arson comes upon mouchette uh in this rainstorm alone in the woods at night um it she's actually, lost her clog. Right. and it, Which is a big deal because she's... She's so poor yes. that she has no other shoes. In the book, she, like, explains, like, oh, I, I, she can, like, literally sense how she's going to be beaten when she gets home. Right. Because she she's lost... She's lost, yes. She also lost, like, something that belonged to her. It's like a scarf. A scarf, yes. To, like, her whole family. Um, And this opening uh, shot of Mouchette being discovered in the torchlight by Arsene is weirdly sexual because she's, like pulling up a stocking. a long stocking yeah mm -hmm. yeah um she's all wet yeah yeah um and has little pigtails in her like school outfits right. so. yeah um the actress of the film i believe was 18 18 but she's was fine. chosen because she looked younger mm -hmm. um yeah our sends us to her if you go home without your clog you'll get hell right um 
he in the book it's very clear how much he's manipulating her step by step with everything that he's right saying. to eventually rape her right yeah. in the movie it's a little more he's um, kind uncer- of unsure it's yeah a little... he's kind of you know he, Brisson just shows his innocence above all things even if he isn't innocent if he's not a bad person everything that he's doing is as automatic as an epileptic seizure like right. yeah yeah this kind of determinism of no control of the will yes which which Brisson and many people are obsessed with um that that Mouchette, you know, Mouchette's in this weird, like, it's like a hut, uh, which I think is interesting. It's like these old French towns and everyone, all these people have these, like, homemade hunts for, I assume, like, hunting. Um, he immediately uh, gives her some, like, gross rot gut alcohol to drink. Um, in the book, she mentions more that it's, like, really gross at the, on her stomach. Like, it feels awful to drink it. Uh she hasn't eaten anything right. like all day yeah. and she's all wet i mean she looks really uncomfortable right so essentially he kind of interrogates her he tells her you know don't tell people that you used that you saw me in the woods tell them you took like this road and that you were looking for like lost candy or something or you wanted to buy stuff um, he gives her money in the book. It's like, says, yeah, that's the most money she's ever held in her hand. Clearly he's planning something. He's at being nice to her for some strange reason, but in the book and in the film, Mouchette has a, an affinity, yeah, an okay. affinity and a, uh, sympathy, empathy for arson, even though he's kind of viewed as this town scumbag, you know, part, well, no wonder, you know, she she's treated like such shit from everybody. So you would see somebody like that and kind of respect their autonomy, mm-hmm. their their own way. You know? Right, because he kind of, he goes his own way and he's also, you know, people are disgusted with him. Um, she looks up to him in this way of like being this fellow outsider. But as we'll see, she eventually gets... Uh, you know raped by him he he is manipulating her the whole time but as we watch we'll see that and hear that she although she hates being raped and i don't think enjoys it she refuses to give him up to the authorities uh in fact she embraces and loves him even i don't know what would you say so this is like a kind of a christ story you could say and you know, she loves arson like Jesus loved Judas, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it's it's very, like, traditional that, you know, it goes that Jesus uh, kissed Judas knowing that, like, you know, he, he betray was... him. Yes. And so it's, it's like that. Like, she loves him arson. in this way. Yeah. Um, unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing he can do to betray her in that sense. Right. Um, She will love him even though... Well, she's... Yeah, the only... Like, she's deprived of love and understanding. And in a way, through this silent... Like, through their interaction together, he shows her that he trusts her. He confides in her. She feels 
understood. She feels like not not understood in the sense that he's interested in her. She's receptive to him. She's listening to him. She's his confidant. You know, right. right. So in the film, or as we're watching it, there's a lot of action that's like her sitting down, sitting by the fire, him throwing at ashes, and there's a kind of like going through the motions of these simplistic... Feels like a crime already. Right. uh, Minimal actions. Uh, There's the acknowledgement of the bite. He has a bite on his hand that Matthew gave him from their fight. Uh, Pretty soon... He mentions that there's a cyclone of which there isn't, but it's clearly a way to possibly... I mean, in the book, it seems like a way to clearly manipulate... He says, there's a tornado. You can't go home. You need to stay with me. In the book, it seems clear that he's trying to manipulate her to rape her. In the movie, it to me, I always almost read it as like Matthew is kind of... or not, Sorry, arson is out of it and kind of thinks that maybe there is a cyclone in the book it, it kind of does say it's that a, they're unsure. It, he's like he suffers from like epilepsy epilepsy so it, it he even talks about like sometimes i just go completely blank and forget everything i mean that could be a manipulation we don't really know right it could be that he's manipulating her with um pretending that he he had this lapse of memory and mm-hmm. that he like needs her help or it could be true, you know. Right. Um, so here, the as it goes, they drink a little more, and then um, uh, they speak. Um, what does she say? So Arson's saying, like, look, I think I, I murdered this guy. You know, will you have my back if, if, if they question you about, you know, where I was tonight? Uh, he's getting more and more wasted and desperate. Um, uh, he's, he's, she's looking down on him as he sits. She's this, in a way, he's begging her. Um, and... Well, she's more coherent than well, yeah, yeah, he for is, sure. too. So um, he, they're trying to get this, like, story right. straight. She has no problem with it. It's all him, like, mm-hmm. not being able to, like, piece these things together. And he's just trying to, like, come up with something. Yeah. He explains, like, his version of this fight. Um, Arson's about to have an epileptic seizure and Mouchette is trying to help him get his story straight, trying to help him and support him, which is, I think, the most important thing. He falls and has a very violent seizure in the book and in the film. She watches him and uh, kind of tries to take care of him best he can. In the you know, in both senses, Mouchette has been abused and treated like garbage, and in this in this context, she's the one who is that person to help the the wounded person? And I I, I was like thinking of uh, the book, and it seems like she's in the book. Her inner monologue seems to be very confused about you know what she's doing. 
I think like ultimately it seems like in the book she doesn't fully understand why she feels bad for him as he's having this seizure but that she and then she sings to him and singing reminds her that she might actually be a good singer um I think Muchette it's like this moment when she finds something to live for um it's something that she feels. She doesn't feel numb. And then there's like this kind of idea that she's useful for right. something. That she the, has purpose. Like, right. That the song that she was um, kind of forced to learn. And, and that she was, uh, you know, punished for singing yeah. incorrectly. Now she sings the song and can heal someone and, and hold and, you know, caress a head, the head of somebody who's had the seizure. Um, but as we see, then begins like what begins like a chase in the film where she eventually gets raped. Um, Here is a part of the book. Um, it's uh, Mushet describing. Um, uh, she's basically thinking back on her rape. Yeah, this is right after it happened. Thank you. <laughs> Those girls are lucky in whom their first sexual experience arouses remorse, or at least some emotion violent enough to overcome the formless anguish and desperate nausea which Mouchette felt. She made a pathetic effort to think about her banal adventure, but managed only to accelerate the process of wild images that flowed through her brain. It was like one of those endless nightmares of uniform horror which as a real alcoholic's daughter she often had to endure throughout a whole night and whose full memory only really came back much later at supper time when she had carried it with her all day like an invisible animal attached to her body yes oh my god that's so beautiful i mean that's why the book i think is so important to read but i think all of that subtext is also seen in the film um, in the film, her rape isn't shown. It's just Arsene chasing her, and then she falls on like a bundle of sticks for the fire in the hut they're in. And then, uh, so in the film, it's an incredible uh, section from the book, and it's so important because you kind of see this inner working of Mouchette. In the film, of course, it doesn't have that exact thing, but I think that piece comes through in in uh you know the models or the actors when what they don't say but in the actual narrative of where we're at Mouchette is running from arson finally she loses the fight the the chase and is uh pushed on a giant bundle of firewood of sticks and is essentially you know this was shot in the 60s so there, it just shows him on top of her but i think one of the most important elements is as she struggles, she finally embraces him. And the implication, of course, is there's that part of her that not only she despises that she's been raped, she hates and is confused by what's happened to her, but she also, I think, loves Arson for his representation as a outsider and rebel within their society and their town and also this person that she had this semi-positive experience with, although 
you know, not as positive as true happiness. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's complicated, though. And that's why I love this film. Yeah. I have uh, something to add from, uh, what is this, this little... It's an essay. Um, essay that's included in... Um, the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray. Uh, it says, for Mouchette, love, sex, empathy, service, humiliation, and force are all bound up together. Although a child, she functions as caretaker for her family. Yet she is an unseasoned, lackadaisical steward, spilling coffee and milk and sloppily swaddling her baby brother. Her response to her mother's death is to fall asleep. Bernanos renders Mouchette's encounter with Arson as a continuation of the cruelty she suffers at home. In her child's mind, the memory of that violence was somehow mixed with that of many others, and her reason could scarcely distinguish it from her father's savage beatings. But Brisson's bleaker vision here always sees double. He deftly affirms arson as an alternative to her domestic violations, as well as their latest installment. Arson manifests um, manifestly wishes to protect Mouchette even as he attacks her. Mm. She identifies with Arson's troubles mm. and his revolt, hugging him finally while he struggles on top of her. Right. And that's, the, I love this essay so much. We already read a little bit from it, but it's by a writer named Robert Polito. Side note. Mouchette, after being raped, uh, is let go and um, arrives home. She has to run away from him and right, hide right, on that's the road. True. Right. In the book, she just, just specifically describes like him falling asleep, essentially, and her running from him. And he even chases her. Yes. And when she hides, she's like hiding in this bush, like one of those quails or something. She just looks right. like a like Another prey, right. you know? Yeah. And we, okay, so we return back to her house while uh, her mother is dying and the baby's just been like wetting itself. That's described in the book. It's, you know, covered in cloth diapers that are wet. Um, she gets some milk that... Just to be clear, like her mother cannot move around. Right, so clearly. this baby's just been lying there crying all night and Mouchette finally comes home and... Uh, tries to like warm up this milk by the way i just wanted to say like the opening of this when she returns home she steps inside and her mother is like where have you been and instead of her being in trouble she notices like her mother just quickly is this like is you, book, need right. you need to help me you need to help me in well, both contexts yeah both you're context. right. Sorry. so there's like no room what just happened to her is not able to be processed she's Right. Going straight into being a caretaker for her family. Right. She, she, she There's no space right. for her to think. She's just like right. automatically she going can't, through these. This movements. isn't someone saying, Mom, this is what's happened to me. You know, in the in the you know, in some senses like, oh, this person's about to die, so she can't say it. But to me it's like a metaphor for like the life of so many people in misery and poverty and whatever situation they're in. It feels like they can never express this horrible trauma that's been put upon them and you know uh mouchette heats up a bottle and i i notice in the book in the film it mentions it's cold milk and she tries to heat it with her like she can't chest. find any matches in the book because right. her father just took them out of the house right like, to smoke his her father just doesn't give a fuck right he's like, an alcoholic right and like she tries to heat she has no breasts really because she's so young but she tries to heat up 
the mm-hmm. um the bottle on her chest mm-hmm. and in the uh film she's like she almost opens her shirt up to feed the baby even though she's using a bottle and she cries and this is the only moment of herself to really kind of express some pain for what's just happened to her but i think it's interesting that this the pain of maybe this is an obvious image but the pain of female of the woman who must sit with her rape but then also feed the baby Right, like yeah, isn't it, it like this encapsulation? I know I'm a man saying this of like well, parts it, of womanhood. So I only know this because of referencing parts of uh, the Diary of a Country Priest, but it's basically like he tries to push this understanding on us that, like, after something like this happens, like some these terrible things just over and over happen, they just deplete the person of their their happiness that thing that it like they could connect to for joy and so like they just close themselves off from Mm -hmm. the world from love at all and then like what happens is just this like um this you're 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 then gonna just live you you just have to keep living on and and there's nothing you can do about that like life continues there's no like quality and there's it. no respite out of the misery and right and the, so that the b- baby and the mother carrying on and like all of this is just this like you know this is like what you continuum, have to continuum right? yeah i mean but, you can't escape this but just i love to me the image though of like mushette crying as she has just had this horrific violence committed against her sexually and then has the baby that she has to like give love to even though it's not her baby um, I don't know. It's just an incredible image. I think Brisson, when he is a focus on Mouchette crying, mm-hmm. holding the baby, mm-hmm. you know, nobody's there to comfort her. She's all alone. And in a sense, like her tears are the only way that she's comforted right she's comforted internally mm-hmm. by god god is reaching out and stroking her cheek it's the only way that she, right which she is has, that it's her only comfort that the, you know? that that god is everywhere god is in your suffering and even the inverse of love is divine yes um and Okay, so let's move on to this beautiful shot of Mouchette's mother lying in bed. It's just a medium shot of her in bed by lamplight. Another beautiful shot of Mouchette close up uh, in shadow, crying over the baby again. Her tears, um, they really went all out with the the, the fake tears. (laughs) The tears are literally falling on the baby's face and hands. Um, It's the only exaggerated quality of this film. Right, right. I mean, it's, yeah, like it's the, the, this, it seems outwardly like special effecty, but it's a great, you know, effect, whatever. Uh, Yeah, the mother just simply says there's cloth on the line and that the baby needs to be changed. Uh, You know, the mother is like dying and, and all she notices and talks about in the book too is the baby's wailing. And this another kind of metaphor for all of existence of like literally being like tortured and in pain while uh 
you know, you have to deal with this screeching of like the new life, you know, that is all around you. Yeah. So, uh, Mouchette wipes her tears and I feel like it's okay. This is what's interesting in the book. You can tell there's maybe parts that she wants to tell her mother what happened, um, in the movie there's many different shots of her just like staring off into space with the... she she falls asleep and wakes up right and the mother's this like why are you standing there she woke up crying right and th- her mom is essentially like you're not doing what you should be doing um so we're at a part of the film where um Mouchette's mother's dying asking for some water or actually gin sorry um, for the la- for like gin that she shouldn't even touch. The father's such an alcoholic. That's like the hidden backup gin for his alcoholism. Misha has to put water in it to make it look like sh- none of it has been right. dr- like drink. So and the mother is drinking this because the pain is so bad, you know. And uh, but I think the book has some beautiful passages if you want to sure. read them. Um. So she says. Give me the bottle again. Why shouldn't I? I've gone my whole life without. I may as well have a bit of pleasure while I'm dying. It's not dying that upsets me. All my life I've had to do what I was told. Grumble or don't. Just as you want. But do as you're told or you'll catch it. It's always like that for us. It's our fate. Well, from now on, I'm going to do as I like. She absolutely caressed the bottle with her left hand. It was so pale that the furrows and wrinkles looked back, like writing in India ink on white paper. What if I don't die tonight? Remember what I'm going to tell you, Michette. Go and get the doctor. I've been dying to see him for days, to talk to him. I can't explain why. I'm not blaming you, but all of you have brought me nothing but pain. There's something to be said for nice people. They're not like us. You'll go get him for me, Michette, won't you? Tell him to come in the evening because of your father. He wouldn't be very nice to him. You'll tell him, won't you, Michette? Yes, Mom, I'll go. And you don't get taken in by any idlers and drunkards. A girl might fall for them, but you see there's Mr. Arson as well. You're too young. You don't understand. He's not the sort of man your father should know. She stretched out her hand for the bottle like a blind woman. Just one swallow. Just one, my poor dodo. I feel hollow inside as if I didn't weigh any more than a feather cushion. Gently, almost shyly, she laid her rough hand on her daughter's head, seeming to apologize for her tenderness, which must have seemed strange to the girl from whom she had been told to draw no word of pity. For an instant, the stubborn little head resisted imperceptibly and then sank slowly onto the mother's breast, yielding, as if at the end of its strength with a faint, weary moan. Maman, maman, or mom, she began, I must tell you something. Her mother was dead and heard nothing. Yeah, God, it's. The implication is that she actually confess to her mother the entire thing because it it's like i must tell you something dot 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 she she went on and on the film does the same thing too where it's like 
it cuts after she says that, implying that she must have said something and then went to sleep, but her mother heard none of it. She was dead. Yeah. Um, it also, I hate to like just talk about a random different book, but it made me think of uh, one of my favorite books, Last Exit to Brooklyn. Um, at the end of, uh, you know, that book, uh, there's it's a chapter that basically describes the, you know, inner workings of this tenement, and it's uh, the ending is one of my favorite endings, and um, I just wanted to quickly read a couple of lines from it because it, it beautifully reminded me of it, um, which is uh, that um, a woman gets beaten by her husband, um, and uh, the mom, you know, she crawled out to the kitchen and pulled herself up, holding on to the edge of the sink, still yelling that he was a bastard and then let the cold water run over her head. Her daughter came over to help her, and Nancy continued yelling, and then the frustration started her crying, and her daughter told her not to cry. Jesus loves us, Mommy. Nancy told her to get the fuck away from her. Abraham slept. Uh, I am sorry for bringing that up. I know it's different, but to me, there's a kind of... I love that passage so much, this kind of uh, unanswered prayer or... Uh, I guess specifically in Last ex Exit to Brooklyn, it's like people hurt that, that end up hurting each other. But but I think what's interesting is later in the both the book of Mouchette and the film, after the father and brother come home and see Mouchette's mother dead, there's a section of the book that describes, you know, the father almost looking pitiful mm -hmm. and sad and almost looking at his daughter with a kind shame. of shame and connection of like, our, you know, your mother's dead, my wife is dead. But then he's disgusted that Mouchette's staring at him, that maybe she's trying to connect with her father and he calls her a little hussy and she yells shit at him. It reminded me, of again, of, of Last Exit to Brooklyn in that there's a kind of desire for the de daughter desires to connect with the mother after they've been abused by their father. But in the end, there's a rejection by both of the, this kind of connection that, that they would rather be apart than together even though in the end like we all are one thing together grace and all of us we are connected but there's this kind of uh, other side to it sorry i know that was a long thing but i think it's okay so now um we're kind of getting towards the end the book in the book it's about 50 pages worth in the end of the film it's only about the last 10 minutes or so but mouchette kind of ritualistically goes to tell members of the village her mother's dead and she's not telling them everybody knows already right sorry I'm, you're you're correct but she goes up to them i guess mm -hmm. she first goes to a bakery um in the film she hasn't eaten anything right but she's super hungry and in the film you know this this uh baker woman gives her some coffee and some croissants to, to keep as like a, an act of charity some dale croissants or whatever they are she like kind of desperately brute like eats uh and because she's so hungry and starving um but then ends up breaking accidentally dropping this a coffee bowl or coffee mug um and is essentially called a little rat by everybody so um mouchette is handed like an extra you know little 
role and then the this woman notices that her she has a bruise on her breast essentially and this other woman notices it and they in the book they more explicit about it but she she the way she looks at her is like you're a slut it isn't like did you get raped it's like you're a little hussy who's like a slut brisson says uh, it's the looks that kill right yeah right. This, this judgment by the entire town like there's a moment of oh we're doing the right thing your mother died even though we all hate you here's a couple extra rolls and then you know not are you okay what happened to you you're 14 years old why would you have bruises on your you know breast area um and then mouchette is freaked out and breaks this glass and everyone's just like you're fucked like we we knew you were always bad no but there, he, the woman calls her a slut in the film, which is, you know, just brutal. And Mouchette just keeps walking. She throws away the throws away the croissant, the croissant that, she... that was given. It's this kind of bullshit sympathy, like to say, like, I want no part in whatever you give me. She right. keeps moving well, forward. Well, it makes me think of like that, like the whole concept of this village, like the concept of charity. It's so twisted because it's like all these people are going like to church. But they're looking at her and judging her in the film. They're staring yeah. at her. Not because they her mother's died. They condemn her right. as well. And basically, I think it's weird that she's blamed for everything. She's she's responsible. It's like nothing mm-hmm. that she's done at all. Like she's completely just um, has no control at all. Right. She sees the boys again, the ones that uh, flashed her. and They call her rat face. The vibe that I get from this part of the movie right after her mother dies and it's the next day mm-hmm. after she hasn't, she's slept like a little bit, but everybody knows. Right. Everybody knows that both her mother is dead and that she and like Arson had. Something weird happened. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now she goes realizes through a window that Matthew isn't dead like Arson thought you know she had this whole story to to protect him in case there was a murder and you know Matthew is not dead Arson is was wasted and did, didn't know that he didn't die in this part um, in the book like she it shows in the film she's horrified she didn't she didn't realize that he Matthew would yeah that Matthew would even be there so she, in her way she just had this morbid curiosity just to go and see for mm-hmm. herself right um it, in the book it seems like she you know actually i don't know it doesn't seem she i read it wrong i didn't think she was as horrible i guess there's a part in the book where she screams that she wants matthew to stay to talk to her i don't know if it's in the movie oh um, it is i think it is um essentially Matthew's wife uh, knows something bad probably happened to her aside from her mother just dying. And again, there's this kind of sympathy and care. Like, okay, we're going to help this girl. Um, Matthew interrogates her trying to find out where Arson is. Um, he's He was arrested, but uh, like essentially Mouchette still defends him like you know she well, she has an alibi yeah. for him mm-hmm. uh in in the book and the film this doesn't matter but arson gets arrested because people claim that he was seen dynamiting a stream to poach the fish from the stream but actually he couldn't do it because he was raping mouchette 
Of course, he doesn't want to admit that, but Mouchette still defends him by saying, no, he was really with me. He wasn't dynamiting the stream or whatever. Um, of course, Matthew's like, why were you, uh, you know, in the sh- hanging out with Arson all night? And she was saying, oh, there was there was rain last night. Uh, you know, I was afraid of the rain. That's why I was with Arson all night. Um, and... And he doesn't really believe her, even though what she's saying is essentially true in some parts that, you know, she was afraid. And so there's just a kind of long uh, conversation. And then she claims arson as her lover. Right. She, she she essentially says, like, no, I wasn't raped. There's, there was nothing weird. He's my lover. And. And, you know, I'm sure to some people that watch the film, they're horrified or disgusted when to Mouchette, this kind of interrogation of why would I give up arson? You know, he's an outsider like I'm an outsider. Yeah. He is pain and and disgust at this whole system, this whole all these people. And so I defend him. You know, it's very Christ like. Yeah. um, And and. but in the truest sense of like, I love the ones that hurt me. I I identify or connect. I don't know. Maybe that's too simple. Um, in the in the book, I think I'm hopefully reading the section correctly. Um, uh, let's see. No thought of the man who had seized her and whose crude and childish fear she had shared for a night crossed her mind. In a, such a crisis, anger or shame with their consequent desire for revenge might have taken the place of hope for her. But her imagination was too sensual and violent to pass beyond the present. And now more than ever, the future was a meaningless word for her. The terrible and exepar- ex- inexorable sense of futility which ha- has tormented so many perceive perceptive and ardent men and has been on rare occasions the instrument of their shared self of their shall sorry on so many rare occasions the instrument of their salvation rare because like the serpent of the legend or perhaps as the serpent of the legend it is destructive was still not clear in her mind it had escaped somewhere inside her like a mine exploding in the depths of the sea where the sound of the explosion is muffled, but the surface of the water is disturbed. The watchful, caressing hatred which escapes from hell and which is the same temptation spreads its charm insidiously among the rich and powerful of this world, but can only take possession of the very poor by surprise, for they carry the sacred sign of their poverty. It spies on them day after day, terrible and watchful and perhaps in secret terror. But once they have been induced to despair, the defenses of simple and uh, irretrievably breached and their ignorance knows no escape save suicide um, I know I was getting a little in my head of myself but I, I just really think in the book the description of that is so complex of trying to explain the feeling that Mouchette feels towards what happened to her by arson and and, and it says in such a crisis would their consequent desire for revenge might have taken the place of hope for her where like um but her imagination was too sensual and violent to pass beyond the present. I don't, it's, it's just, it's full of like what makes us human, which is like not understanding who, what we want or who we are, but there's a desire to not just see what happened to her as awful, even though it, she does see it as awful, but to, it represents kind of 
a desire for what she wants and what she'll never have. I don't know. You know, what mm -hmm. do you think? Do you like that quote? I do. I think like it's felt like I, I like that kind of thing. Like it's this um, thing that's barely understood in its surface level, but actually the understanding lies or the trauma you could say lies within like the body taking in that thing like she's describing it's like a, a bomb that's like gone off under the depths right, of I like love the that ocean yes and like how it it only reaches the surface like on these kinds of um vibrations which just Seem it's like shock waves right. it's not processed right and, and then it makes me think of rasan and his style with models which is that these intense you know things we can barely put into words the way they're seen physically yeah. they seem like as like a simple bubble under the over the ocean but he said he 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 like bernanos the writer are both against psychology and analysis mm -hmm. as like explaining this it, it is exactly like that description it's just this subtle thing that speaks for itself right right you can't read it on the surface right there's no you know if this was some awful soap opera there'd be mouchette going i hate you know arson but i also feel this strange like kinship with him and maybe that's our shared connection there's no way you know? again it's he said the the thing that um bernanos's books are about more than solitude mm -hmm. uh, is in an incommunicability mm -hmm. um so i would say that is for like the inside of your like mouchette's mouchette can't process these these things they're ineffable right that it, there's an even a there's no way that her mind can even fit this in it's all like it's all so loose and like kind of just i don't know has like it her body and her mind have like a will of its own, but it's right. all, it's all being like affected by what's happening to her and right. what's ha what has happened to her right. in the past. There's another good line. It's like, uh, until her chance meeting with Arson, she had never, despite such fleeting moments, have been able to overcome the strange rebellion against tenderness, which made her so solitary. But as a hidden injury to the nervous system may cause pain so far away from the injury as to baffle the surgeon, now that the memory of the unknown girl and her caress had almost disappeared from Mouchette's mind, she began to examine her own hands. Sorry, that also connected to the book version of The Moment of Happiness, but I just like, you know saying the until her chains mm -hmm. meeting with arson she never been able to like overcome that strange rebellion that res resistance of care yeah. and receptivity right. because she... like i like i i've 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 processed the same information like before in my own way of just being like you know our conditioning everything that happens to us hardens our heart and closes us off mm -hmm. and so like even receptivity and to care of others is a is weaponized against yourself it only causes more pain so it's like it's better to just completely avoid all contact avoid the even being open to receiving right, right. And, and and she did that she sang something that she actually does love she sang to arson and she caressed him before being you know um but anyway do you want to keep moving forward yeah. um so uh 
she says like no he's my lover and she runs off and then here's the final kind of like woman uh uh who is this kind of old solitary hag, not hag, but like old crone lady. So like uh, Brisson pointed out that like her three, like the three women that she meet, like the terrible women are um, the lady from the cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ma- that guy, Matthew's wife. It It's weird because it's like exactly what we were talking about just a second ago about like avoidance of care. Right. Um, that lady like matthew's wife was actually like concerned she's kind of the only person that was like no stay here uh let let us be alone so you can talk to me about what happened to yeah, you and right. she she yeah. was like i do not want to be alone I with this lady right, so right. this lady's care and receptivity she you know it's interesting she couldn't she couldn't deal with that it's weird though also i was thinking about there's three women that she <laughs> sees and then leaves and kills herself spoiler um and you know there's the three fates from greek mythology yeah which is like the spinner the old woman the allotter and the inflexible and they spin the thread of human fate and and uh and dispense it and cut the thread of death and i don't know i'm sure that wow. there's a connection there with there mythology, absolutely you know? is and i feel dumb for not seeing it sooner no but. no me too um that's a good point because namaya is that spinner you know right and in like she weaves the entire story so there's this kind of like complex idea of like resentment against the creator Mm -hmm. and um that happens to be kind of like this female um like our woman kind of or like you know um entity yeah because it's like it is the creator the the mother like figure like that which creates everything and right in a way it goes back to christianity where it's like the mother sacrifices her son Mm -hmm. um to god or whatever like birth is just this sacrifice um of of life like whatever is born will die will will live this life of suffering and so we come to like resent the mother we resent like that figure right like, so what these what these women represent right so that's what's interesting like for all of them she despises them and represent and hates for some for good reason and some for bad and um but in this last one in the book this old woman just kind of goes on and on and talks like purposely the the Bernanos like writes writes long kind of rambling passages of this old lady talking about watching a, a woman die she was a watcher for yeah yeah and but like, uh in the book in, in in the movie it's a little bit shorter but um Mouchette purposely like digs her dirty clogs into her uh uh nice rug and she's like saying like the even the old woman still says like i just want to help you um and she, she says there's evil in your eyes um i think in the book she has a little more sympathy uh but maybe i'm wrong but she's you know she gives her this dress to like wear to her mother's funeral basically is my implication um yeah in the book it's much longer this kind of long thing um so finally mouchette in the in the film watches hunters killing a rabbit um and 
contemplates and decides to drown herself. She's like horrified by the dying and tortured rabbit, um, the cruel world that like hunts its prey. In the book, again, we see her inner monologue considering suicide. Um, and there's a beautiful, beautiful passage uh, about the act of suicide. Would you read it? Mm, that yeah. passage? Yes. Um, People generally think that suicide is an act like any other. The last link in a chain of reflections or at least of mental images, the conclusion of a supreme debate between the instinct to live and another more mysterious instinct of renouncement and refusal. But it is not like that. Apart from certain abnormal exceptions, suicide is an inexplicable and frighteningly sudden event. Rather like that kind of rapid chemical decomposition which currently fashionable science can only explain with absurd or contradictory hypothesis. Mm, that's, that's so spot on. And that's what Bernanos wrote. Right. Um, he, um, like, that lost part's confusing, but he goes along, he goes and says, like, her love and her suicide, all the same, is as... Um, as controllable as a seizure mm -hmm. so it's um it's not like this like the way we think of it as like this debate it's of like this weighing between the will to live finally falling under a greater will that mm -hmm. overcomes that in fact if everything like bernanos and brisson says if everything is grace mm -hmm. then this too is just one wave in the ocean of the absolute mm -hmm. um it's as controllable as the weather mm -hmm. there's a as a in back to the essay by Ro robert uh polito he says uh, mouchette tw tries twice to tell her mother about what happened to her with arson that each time she stops she's interrupted by crying and death from her mother um because of her suicide, Mouchette's life is another interrupted story, and Brashan doesn't show us an image of her body entering the water to drown, recording instead the sounds of her splash back to the uh, amazing sound recording. The um, the song Magnifique, what is it? Uh, that The <laughs> ending song mm -hmm. returns as the camera lingers. We're going to be playing it, or you might have already heard it over the space that she, like her mother, at the start of the film has now vacated an empty frame. Once again, we might view this as Mouchette's release, the suicide, as a gift. But if her death is akin to grace, Brisson never lets us forget that her suicide is also desperate, pathetic, and a dead end. Which, you know, the film has been nothing but these kind of dual meanings of... It's paradoxical right, stuff. Yeah. The, in life grace is everywhere suffering is close to, to divinity and our the tormentors can also be our the ones that release the ones that hurt us the most can give us a kind of connection to beauty but then also like the end of a life 
Muschietta's released of suffering, but she also never got to live fully, and it is this tragedy. Um, yeah. What did you want to say? I'll just read a little bit of like the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, suicide really only frightens those who are never tempted by it, and never will be, for its darkness only welcomes those who are predestined to it. The man with murder in his heart will only become aware of suicide at the last moment, unless he is mad. The last feeling of a person who kills himself must be one of amazement and desperate surprise. Apart from madmen, whose laws, whose law is not our law, no one tries to kill himself twice. When she came close to it, the water was clear. The silt on the bottom was of a greenish gray color as gentle to the eyes as velvet but the voice which Mouchette could hear was infinitely more gentle was it a voice she listened to it like a dog listening to his master as he encourages and pacifies him it was like the old woman's voice but also like arson's and now and again even like madame's it spoke no human language. It was nothing more than a dying, whispering murmur. Then it was silent. Mouchette slid down the bank until she felt the gentle sting of cold water on her leg and as far as her thigh. Then sudden silence inside her seemed infinite, like that of the crowd as it holds its breath when the trapeze artist reaches the top rung of the ladder, her will dissolved. She slid out into the water, pushing against the bank with one of her hands. She could hold herself up in the shallow water by the pressure of one hand on the bottom. Then she twisted over and looked up into the sky. She felt the insidious flow of the water along her head and neck, filling her ears with its joyful sound. She knew that life was slipping away from her and the smell of the grave itself rose to her nostrils. Hmm. Wow. And like conversely in the film, we're going to play this clip. We just see Mouchette go into the water and there's like a loop of like a water ripple and this beautiful music plays that started the film. So we'll play that clip right now. You heard the clip. That's the only uh, actual music soundtrack in the whole film, this one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, before we end, uh, I, I, there's a couple thoughts that we have about different things. And and one interesting thought I had is Amelia and I were watching the film last year. We always watch it and um, every couple months. And um, I was looking up reviews and analysis of um, Mouchette and any kind of Brisson work. And I saw this essay is like by somebody who I won't name. Um, but like, you know, someone clearly put a lot of thought into it, but it's essentially an essay that says like, you know, uh, Brisson and uh, Bernanos ha- ha- are creating these kind of like, Mouchette is this mechanical fantasy instrument, uh, like a robot who 
these men create their little fetishistic toy to watch play out this sad game and uh, that their theory, and I guess you would define it as a Marxist theory, I don't say that in any kind of pejorative sense. I, I would assume the person who wrote the essay identifies himself as a you know a Marxist critic. Um, is that the film should have uh, instead be what should happen to Mouchette, which is you know why don't we show Mouchette getting out of her poverty or telling someone that she was raped or leaving this town and finding some. Uh, freedom and autonomy within her life um and the the like essay just completely upset me because number one art doesn't always have to be what we wish life was it's this piece both the book and the film are pieces about the way life is for many people and it's a film, but but to me, it's not just some like nihilistic piece about nothing. It's a, a piece about finding, trying to find connection within all people, including people that fucking rape you, and as fuck, you know, and trying. And it's not as simple as like, oh, I love my rapist. There's a, but the complexity of humanness is to me shown bare, um, and it just. I know some someone guys thinking like Rusty, who cares about what one guy thinks, which is interesting because I told this to Amelia and she was like, "Don't read essays like this." But she had her own thoughts about the piece. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this just comes from what you were saying, kind of like before we recorded this. Um, um, I'm just going off of kind of like what you've been saying. Um, with the right set of beliefs, like, this is what people, this is what maybe, like, this, um, this point of view is kind of, like, this is what I see in it, is, like, with the right set of beliefs, um, and correct perception of the world, this will give us an empowered way of living, um, and so, in a way, like, what I've said is, like, it's a kind of rejection of reality at its most transparent, and cruel and atrocious and you know as long as we like we can't we'll, we'll never be able to face it like that or look at it um if we prefer to like live in in this delusional way I think that this kind of thing is like blind to real human suffering and I think in their eyes, I would say, like, they probably, like, believe that human suffering is, like, a disease that can be cured. But... And that, and that, yeah, and that <clears throat> art, essentially, Brisson is a fetishist who wants to play with women. And what what's weird to me is, like, I think, uh, I, I don't understand why, um, if, if you see something there's always going to be sex and death connected and like as dark as as this may sound like um i don't think that you know bresson was like this pedophile wanting to like sadistically watch mouchette suffer i really don't believe that um uh, you know someone who i think is interesting in that sense would be like alan Grier, who made these films these kind of postmodern pieces about the the irrationality of uh 
life, but also would have... Alan Robillet would create these pieces about irrationality and absurdity and, you know, uh, subjectivity in existence and in art. And um, he also would have his female characters bound in S&M kind of uh, gear constantly or, like, trapped. And it's very clear that uh, Grier is, like, has a hard dick when he's uh, creating this art. So once everything is very, like, clean and... uh, academic to a certain degree but at the same time full of like hard hot-bloodedness um you know i but i when i watch i'm not denying that uh bresson specifically in alhazard balthazar probably thought his uh, models were attractive but i think that to simply see it as a dirty old man putting women in uh situations to sadistically torture them in some kind of like Hitchcock sense. Well, I think it's it, just ridiculous and simplistic. Um, and he, so much of his art during this phase before and after is about the same themes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, it, it's all like this, like misunderstanding. Like you could say the same thing in like religion about like, uh, our, our like view of god you know as being like is god a cruel right god? Oh, right great. is is the you know d- and that's a good question because brisson is simply kind of taking on that the cruel god right. master and wh- right. what i have to say about brisson's at least just film theory within this is that it's about exposing that god is both loving and indifferent right, right. Yeah, yeah. there's a complexity there there and it's the same with this it he set this up yeah sure he 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 transposed or like he created this world in film where he created in a sense the reality in which Mouchette suffers um and he does take on that responsibility he even says that himself he takes responsibility for it right like god we like again it goes back to like you know who who are we to blame for like is god this cruel god right. and is, are we are we being punished right and i think what's interesting is and to, as a woman am i being am i punished for being does god hate me because i'm born a woman right, i never right. asked for that you know and, and instead like and i know everyone's just gonna go who cares about one critic like yeah i'm that guy but it's it was a long essay that someone clearly put a lot of thought into and i um i i felt like uh um, there's, a, there's a line from Bresson from the interview during Mouchette where he says, Mouchette shows us the cruelty and misery we ordinarily choose not to see. And in the essay, the guy kind of tries to move over that, like, oh, society's cruel. But I, I, what I don't understand is, so we're, we're supposed to make art, and this is the vibe that I get, and I know I mentioned this before, that is essentially this is how things should be because we believe women, and I would agree, women should have more autonomy. Women should not be cruelly treated like shit by the world and society. That that means we shouldn't make art about it. And um, I'm sure maybe if there or was... that it means that by making art, it somehow creates that same reality in which, right, which feels... it enforces that reality. Right, right. Which feels like you know some kind of goofy, it's blaming like... the victim or, ultimately, and just like... like some kind of goofy like div- violent video games make us you know, violent or, uh, you know, uh, essentially 
you know, Bresson's theory of the model, which is, it's weird because it's, it's like, okay, so is the way we get to the truth of a character making them act like traditional actors? They don't have autonomy there either. They're acting and being in a film by itself, unless it's like the most experimental, which doesn't, you know, there's all kinds of people that maybe tried like, okay, the actors are going to lead the film no matter what the, the, the director is like a cruel dictator, even in the most community-driven film. Anyway, those are all interesting kind of thoughts. Okay, so now we're at the end of our first podcast in so long. Do you have any kind of like final thoughts or quotes you want to read regarding like your thoughts about this film and book? Yeah. Um, since this is about suicide and and catholic realism as like it's been called um i think like in the end it's it's a story about one like person who was never separate from the grace which is everywhere and then in the end is returning um in a huge way i feel like it's like god is like our ultimate like it, it he's been described by like people like Rumi and stuff as like ultimately our our lover our the one who loves us and sees us the most and in that way like that's what we are always looking for and longing for is this like bernano says like um, or uh, Brisson says about Bernanus that, you know, like I've said over and over again, like the main, the central theme is incommunicability. Mm-hmm. The, uh, and so God in this situation is the only one who truly understands and sees you in that, in that, like that, you know, you're, you're, completely unable to share any of this life any of this deep heartache with anyone Mm -hmm. you share that burden with no one only only god shares that with us and um um i mentioned Rumi because and god as like kind of this ultimate partner or lover one that understands us um Rumi once said in the existence of your love talking about god i become non-existent this non-existence that is linked to you is better than anything i have found in existence Mm -hmm. and another which he says the lover does not unite with the beloved it dies in the beloved so like um what would you say uh if someone said like what does that mean yeah um how does it relate to oh shit i understand it but if someone was confused if they were like just walking in here off the street right um i would say that suicide can be seen as this like pathetic lonely ordeal that one person faces or it could be this, you know, this 
moth that has longed for a connection that finally burns up in the flame for which it's always longed for its entire life. Mm -hmm. And so this all-encompassing like love or return into the arms of God is is linked to non-existence. And existence is hell, right? So mm. the opposite of that, non-existence is what we call heaven. Um, but it's the absence of of anything. It's it's emptiness, it's silence, it's but it's a silence which is ultimately intimate, loving and receiving or caring, you could say. Yes. And so like I think a lot of people are like get confused and like are like Rasan is cruel, but he's just reflecting those qualities of the God that we do not and cannot understand in our struggle when right. we're shaking our fists at him and saying, How dare you? How could you do this to me? It's a lot more complicated. And as that. we suffer we connect to the divinity of, of God. Because we, 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 he's there through the suffering in some of it. That's his will. And then also, if we go back to Dyer v. Country Priest, that kind of Bernanos talks about how, like, hell is the absence of love. Yes. And that hell is to not love anymore. To not love. And that even if in the book, Mouchette's, like, one feeling of love was the caress of the random girl or the boy right. like smiling love is, at her. Love is not any different than understanding in right. the case of and, and even and this. Yeah. And in the Christ sense, loving the one or feeling kinship with the one that has assaulted you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same it one with God. We forgive God in the same in the same hand that yeah, we like, shake right. our hand at him. Yeah, and and with that with like the same hand that God like swipes us down mm-hmm. that is equal and all the same as his love for us right I th- that's a yeah um well i'm so glad we got to talk about this um i love this movie so deeply and i know it's your favorite film i mean it's probably in my top five but like all his films are so important i want we'll eventually talk about you know all the ones we love the most um um yeah we're gonna do a lot more um but I guess we should wrap it up. Do you have any uh, last thoughts? I'm Rusty Kelly. And I'm Amelia McKay. And the song that you're about to hear comes from the very end of the movie, Mouchette. And it's Monteverde's Magnificat. And this episode goes out to my dear friend, Lauren Williams. Thank you so much. Thanks.